This is your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. How is everybody doing today? Hope you are well. We've got a ton to talk about today. Lavelle E. Neal III covers the Twins for a little while longer than he's being promoted to columnist. He will join me in a little while to talk a whole bunch of Twins as we get ready for the start of spring training later this week. First, what did I miss? Well, 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 interesting, interesting game last night. Timberwolves-Lakers. We'll get a little bit to uh, Wild Kings in a moment, too. But Timberwolves-Lakers, there was all sorts of news and a little bit of drama last night. First thing we found out was D'Angelo Russell, who has been missing uh, in recent recent games. Um, We found out he's going to have arthroscopic surgery uh, to, re- to remove a, a small problem in his knee, he's going to be out four to six weeks. So no, you know, no D-low probably until you know late March um, at the earliest. So what, is, what does that mean? Well, first and foremost, it means probably Ricky Rubio is in the starting lineup for the foreseeable future at point guard. And I think you can see his comfort level growing um, in, in that regard. The Wolves did not win last night. They lose 112-104, but they looked pretty good against the defending NBA champions a long stretch of the way. The bigger thing in all of this, though, was Anthony Edwards, 28 points in the loss to the Lakers, had a bunch of other good moments, had a three-pointer over um, LeBron James in the third quarter that gave the Wolves the lead, 28 points, including 10 of them in the fourth quarter as he tried to rally the Timberwolves past the Lakers. They came up short, but kind of a moment for Anthony Edwards and At the same time, maybe the emergence of kind of a little bit of uh, a push-pull that we're going to see here now, especially with D'Angelo Russell out. I think with with Towns and Russell healthy, if they're ever healthy at the same time, which has been very scarce, I believe they've only played five games together now and will not play any more than that for, again, the next four to six weeks with Russell out. But with Towns and Russell in the lineup, I think you would have a clear one-two pecking order at at the end of games but you know Russell's absence has opened a door a little bit for Anthony Edwards to continue to develop particularly handling the ball particularly you know in you know in the same same types of actions that that he that Russell and Towns would typically run together some pick and rolls um, you know just working off each other a little two-man game Anthony Edwards took a lot of shots was very efficient um, in Tuesday's game, finished 10 of 20 for his 28 points. That's a good game, 5 of 10 from three-point range. But Anthony Towns did not attempt a shot in the fourth quarter as the Wolves were trying to rally. Now, you can say that that's not necessarily a problem, and I kind of agree with that. I, I feel like that was kind of Anthony Edwards' breakout game. you got to let him go. But I do wonder how this is going to, you know, sit ultimately and play out because you've got, you know, Edwards, the number one pick in 2020. You've got Cat, the number one pick five years before that. Cat has been the unquestioned leader of this franchise for, you know, the last, you know, few years at least. And now you've got the guy coming in here saying, you know, I, I'm, I'm part of this. I, I want to be one of these franchise players. Give me the ball in the fourth quarter. Let me. You know, let me try to do my thing. Let me let me emerge. Let me have my moment. Not in a selfish way, but just in a this is this is what I'm here to do too. So how that all is going to play out and how those two are going to, you know, share the ball, especially when D'Angelo Russell comes back healthy, uh, will be an interesting thing. And I I don't think there's tension, but but you know, here here's what Cat had to say after the game at the very least. You know, obviously in the fourth quarter. 
um, I would have liked to, you know, get get some, you know, get a touch and try to help our team offensively. Um, but um, just wasn't called for me. Uh, you know, Ant was having it going, so I just tried to do my best uh, to, uh, you know, space the floor for them guys, uh, get them guys open, and uh, play defense as best as possible. But uh, you know, of course, fourth quarter is different than all the rest of the quarters. Um, you know, there's a reason uh, I'm paid to what, what I'm paid. I got to go out there in the fourth quarter and try to help us win. Um, it just wasn't uh, third and the fourth. That just wasn't asking me to uh, shoot the ball. Again, Towns seemed diplomatic. Ryan Saunders was diplomatic in, in how he approached it with his postgame comments. Ricky Rubio was too. So I don't think there's a problem here. I just think it's something we need to watch as we go forward. How many touches do these guys get in the fourth quarter? Who is going to take over these games when they need them to? Because, frankly, it is easier for someone like Anthony Edwards, a guard, to do that in the fourth quarter and not Carl Anthony Towns. And I promised I would talk a little bit about the Wild before we get to our interview with Lavelle. Kind of a predictable return to the ice, right? They've been off for two weeks. They're still missing a bunch of key guys um, coming off the COVID protocols. They lose 4 nothing at Los Angeles to the Kings. Um, kind of a sloppy all-around game, uh, you know, Just but but ex- but expected, right? You, you don't play for two weeks. This has happened to a lot of teams where they're rusty. They haven't been able to train as much as they want to. They're missing key players. So I was trying to say on uh, on Monday and Tuesday's podcast, you got to give them a little bit of grace, and I think that's what we're seeing right now. Give, give them a little time to get their feet back on the ice, get, give them a little time to get their, their bearings, and I think they'll be all right and kind of get back to where they were at the start of the season when they looked pretty promising. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. One quick disclaimer before we get to the interview with Lavelle. We recorded this on Monday because Lavelle had a travel day, he had other stuff going on, so we were like, okay, let's let's do all the spring training stuff Monday. It'll run on Wednesday's podcast. Not much will happen. Well, a few hours after we recorded, the Twins signed Matt Shoemaker to a one-year, $2 million deal. Not the kind of thing where we say, rip up the podcast, stop the podcast presses, we got to do it all over again. But enough that I want to make sure we have a correct historical record. So what I've done is, in the parts where we might have mentioned Matt Schumacher, I have obviously and humorously interjected his name into the post-production file. So watch for that a few times and know that that was not, of course, part of the original discussion. Very excited right now to welcome in Lavelle E. Neal III, Star Tribune baseball writer for many, many years, over 20 years, and um, recently named Star Tribune columnist. Your first column will be in a couple weeks. Congrats on that, Lavelle. How are you doing? Doing great, man. Just kind of getting ready to – I'm still going to have my beat writer hat on for another uh, uh, six days here. So I am actually going down to spring training and the transition will happen down there. So uh, I'm still a beat writer like the Twins – released their non list of non-roster invites today. So we got down online and, and uh, it looks like they're gonna have at least 72, maybe 73 players in camp here the, the limit 75. So I'm still kind of in the nuts and bolts mode right now. Okay. All right. All right. Well, you know, pretty soon, you know, next, next thing you know, you're just going to be hammering the team that you covered, right? It's funny. I've been getting a lot of emails about 
don't go easy on the Wolves. Don't go easy on Richard Pitino. Don't go easy on Buxton and Sano. And I'm, I'm getting a lot of those emails from readers. So uh, the pressure's on. Everyone wants me to come out firing. And I, I just want right. to start out by writing stories and uh, yeah. and being entertaining. Absolutely. Um, find we'll your, yeah, find your style. Exactly. You don't have to riff. I'm just I'm teasing mostly. But uh, well, as long as you've still got your your beat writer hat on a little bit, and you've you've got you know you're you're thinking ahead to columnist stuff. Let's 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 run through a big laundry list of of twin stuff that I want to get to, um, especially, especially pertaining to the off season and now you know kind of what to look for in the spring. It was a very quiet, you know, November, December, and then all of a sudden there's kind of this flurry of moves like they've done in in recent years. They they signed Jay Happ, they sign, you know, they they sign Andrelton Simmons, they re-sign Nelson Cruz, they get Colum A and Matt Shoemaker. Let let's let's get your assessment of their offseason as a whole and, and what do you what you think they've been able to accomplish. In terms of pace of activity. Uh, I wasn't surprised. I think uh, the Twins have been rather deliberate in their approach to spring training. I mean, I'm sorry, to off-season transactions during uh, under the Derek Favian and Thad Levine regime. So I wasn't surprised that uh, they didn't have a lot accomplished until – I think they signed like Hansel Robles like in late December. I think that was their first kind of eyebrow-raising signing of, of the off-season. Um, and just the league uh, – I mean, there were about there are 200 players unsigned, like going into Christmas. Uh, it was going to be a deliberate free agency season, um, just because teams are coming out of this uh, pandemically challenged 2020 year, and a lot of teams were looking to, you know, not spend a lot of money, and because revenues were down, and some teams handled it better than others. I mean, the Cubs laid off 100 employees at the end of the season last year. Mm. You know, the Pirates froze their their employees pension plan i mean it was crazy stuff going on around the league so you know there, there was going to be a reaction to the revenue that was lost in 2020 so um they all act a lot of teams ended up acting like the twins this offseason heck trevor bauer just signed a week ago yeah um just Turner just signed like two three days ago with the dodgers you know so um i wasn't surprised um as the smoke clears from this offseason I still wish the twins would have added one more power arm for the bullpen. I don't know if they have adequately replaced Trevor may or not. Um, Alex Colome though. Um, he doesn't strike a lot of hitters out, but he's got a funky cut fastball that has been really effective. Um, the last uh, three or four years. And he only had like a one Oh eight ERA with the white Sox last year. Right. And he's got closing experience that mm-hmm. helps out the twins in ninth inning situations. Cause now they can use, uh, they can use Colome or to use Taylor Rogers you know, when there's matchup issues or, or, or if uh, Rogers is fresher than column a. So that kind of helps them in the back end. I still wish they'd have another matchup power guy for like the seventh and eighth innings. Um, we had to pull out the fire. And maybe if they get Hansel Robles figured out, um, you know, Wes Johnson is going to be a key figure this spring training as he's going to work with uh, Robles and hopefully get him turned around and, and a couple other pitches as well. Then, um, the bullpen could be functional, but I will say this: um, they got some decent pieces pieces in play. You know, Cody Stashak, you know, he doesn't look imposing when he's on the mound, and he doesn't look like he's a big strikeout guy. But you know, he got better in 2020. He did over 2019. He doesn't walk a lot of guys, and he is he's got a sneaky decent strikeout ratio. So he's kind of developing into a reliable guy. And I like I like Orhea Akala. I think Akala's got a live arm. He's got a he's got a um, a wipeout slider. And he's going to be, he's a guy who could emerge as maybe a, a Trevor May type for this club this year. 
And I think that Eduardo Colina is on the Orahe Akala development plan. I saw him pitch in A ball when he was throwing 96 with a slider and was working on the changeup. And now he's throwing 99 with still that slider. He's got potential of helping out the bullpen too. So my, my, my biggest concern with this team is uh, late inning uh, protection. And I, I think they've got the pieces in place to be functional there. But uh, I, I still wish they had another guy I could throw 98, like a Trevor Rosenthal or something like that. But I think that's wishful thinking. But that, that was my one thing coming out of the offseason that I was worried about. I figured Cruz is going to re-sign with the Twins eventually. I think he was just trying to – he was hoping that there would be a, a bigger market, get some more money out of the club. But, you know, one year, $13 million for a guy who's going to turn 41 in July, you know, that's, not, that's not too shabby. He did a pretty good job. The Simmons move – was very yeah. interesting because it really affects three positions at once because it pushes um, Polanco to second base where he started a lot of games. I think he had a, like 138 starts at second uh, in the minors, so he's he's very familiar with the position. That should not be a tough transition, and he should be he should be above average there. Um, and that takes Luis Arias out of the infield and makes him a Marwin Gonzalez, a guy who can move around the infield. Um, they're going to need that bat because it's a right-handed dominant lineup now. They're going to need that lefty bat to kind of bounce things out. So I would expect Arias to get 400 plate appearances, and that's not bad. And he, he definitely would hit better than Marvin Gonzalez. So yeah. um, that move, you have a plus defender at third in Donaldson. You have an elite shortstop in Simmons. You're going to have a plus defender at second. You're going to have a plus uh, uh, defender in center field in Byron Buxton. You're going to have a, a pretty good right fielder in Kepler. And, you know, when Ryan Jeffers catches, he's a strong defensive guy as well. So – the defensively, the spine of the defense right up the middle uh, has the potential of being very nice and being uh, very adept at uh, run protection. Does that mitigate some of what my concern is in the moment, which is that they don't have that they don't have enough starting pitching, or at least they don't have enough starting pitching when we get to October? Um, no, that's not enough to mitigate your concern that they don't have enough starting pitching because you, as you see, when you get in the postseason. A lot of these teams have that big horse at the front of the rotation, at least. And some teams, um, you know, have multiple guys. Uh, now, if Kenta made it pitches in 2021 like he did in 2020, it's almost ace-like, you know, the yeah. stuff he did. Um, Jose Barrios, can he solidify himself as a quality number two guy, which wouldn't be bad at all for him. You know, Michael Pineda, you know, I, I had my doubts about Pineda after he served a suspension because I've covered players who have had suspension for, for PEDs. And when they come back, they aren't the same, but Panetta came back and was effective, you know, and J.A. Happ is a veteran left-hander. So now it's going to, the question is, is that who's going to be the number five guy um, and how much depth they have in the rotation going through the season, because you usually need eight or nine starters. I think the twins used 10 different starters last year um, to get through the season. So, I mean, you could argue that you're worried about the front end and the back end of that rotation as far as uh, having guys who are going to be ready to fill in when, when someone's injured. But uh, no, you brought up a good point. Um, they don't have that 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 big guy at the front that will um, could step up and be a big guy like a Blake Snell was for the Rays or someone like that. You know, they don't have that. But their rotation is deep enough to get them through a regular season. And there are a lot of teams envious of the Twins because they've made the playoffs multiple times here in in the last few years. Yeah, but they haven't won a playoff game since 2004, and that's all that people, some people care about. Let's talk a little bit more about the starting pitching because I think it, you know, I think I, I think their one through four is is fine. I think depth is a question, like like we talked about. I think Dobnik can be fine, and Matt Shoemaker 
you know, mm-hmm. Lewis, Lewis Thorpe, we've, you know, he's, he's a guy that they liked Evan Smeltzer. So they got options. It's not like they don't have anybody there, but they haven't developed anybody for a while that really just, you know, jumped into the rotation. And, you know, that since Barrios probably, and maybe Gratterall might've become that guy if he hadn't been traded for Kenta Maeda. But, you know, you know, do you get the sense that if they are as good as they hope they are, that, that they would, that there's the potential for more of a, a trade deadline shove all in and say, Hey, we, you know, let, let's go get one of those guys and see what we can do. Or is this, that's just not how this regime operates. Well, they haven't made that, that big move. And, and, but I think they do think big at times. And they, they, they consider all possibilities. I mean, they did make an offer for you Darvish a couple of years ago. They did make an offer for uh, Wheeler uh, before you signed with the, for the, with the Phillies uh, last off season. So they, they have tried to take big swings here. And I think if they're in a position where they see they're having a great year and they look like a dangerous team that could uh, you know do some damage in the postseason, I could see them considering, you know, making a big move like that. I still think they they'll need um they'll need a, uh, another starter before the year is over at least. Cause you mentioned the top four um, Dobnak looks like a guy who could be a capable number five, but as I said before, you usually need eight or nine starters to get through a season. And I don't know if they have that type of depth on the back end. Um, cause you get, you got the Devin Smelsons of the world and Matt Shoemaker. Lewis Thorpe had a terrible season last year. He's got to like forget and, 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 and try to bounce back from. And then after that, you got, um, you mentioned, uh, not developing a starter. I think there has been a, a gap in development in terms of starting pitching, but you got a couple of kids who by the end of the year could be in target field and Jordan Balazovich, one of their higher draft picks out of Canada a few years ago and Yon Duran. Um, who came over in a trade and Duran throws that split fingered sinker that they call a splinker, which <laughs> I saw last year in, in that summer camp. And I was like, wow, you know, I've never seen a pitch move like that before. And those two guys, I was told they still need some seasoning, but you know, by the middle of the year, they may be, they may be needed, you know, when someone breaks down or, 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 or someone needs a break or something like that. So um, they're going to rely on those guys. Um other than that, you've got like guys like Bailey Ober, who are at the, probably at the double A level, who've had who've put up some good numbers, and Blaine Enloe, one of their higher drafted players from a couple of years ago, um, who are who, who are getting close but not quite there. So they're going to have to. Uh, they may be in the market for a start if they have a couple of injuries in that rotation. They have to like rely on some minor leaguers. They may be forced to go out and get a starter during the season, which isn't to me. It's it's easy to go get a bullpen help. You can always go out and get spare parts, yeah. but um, when you when you need starting pitching and quality starting pitching, you know that's more intricate and a little more uh, difficult to try to execute. How's the batting order shake out this year? Do you think? Because with some differences now, Eddie Rosario is gone. You you kind of you know, Arias has the Gonzalez role, but essentially it's Simmons in you know batting taking the place of of Gonzalez as mm-hmm. a hitter at least, um, you know, Jeffers and Garver could probably share catching duties, you know, Cruz back in the middle. How would you construct this kind of one through nine? And what are the, you know, what are some of the, the best parts and some of the question marks of that? Well, I know most managers and Rocco's no different. They like to, I'm sorry, Rocco Baldelli. He's no oh, different. They like to have, yeah. And they don't like the bunch of uh, like hit, like-handed hitters in, in their batting order, but they're going to, have to bunch a couple. They're going to, have to bunch right-handers up in this lineup a couple spots here because you've got you got Buxton who's right-handed, Aunt Simmons is right-handed, um, Donaldson's right-handed, 
Both of their catchers are right-handed. Cruz is right-handed and Sano's right-handed. It's going to challenge Rocco to be uh, creative with that batting order. I, I do see a path where Buxton may lead off in 2021 uh, because I don't know if they're going to want Simmons paired up at the bottom of the batting order. So um, I think it's going to be rather fascinating to see uh, how Rocco Baldelli is going to, and all his uh, brain wizards and re- research and development are going <laughs> to craft this batting order together. Because I, I don't think it's going to be easy now with all the right-handedness. I was going to say that's another reason why Rise is going to uh, get a lot of the bats because he, he can help balance out that lineup. Well, and he's a good hitter too. And But, you know, and that brings me to another question. We've, we've all read now and the teams have been circulated the memo about the balls being deadened a little bit. I don't know if that's a direct response to the 2019 Bomba squad. Probably not, but... I still maintain, Michael, that if the Yankees hit 307 home runs in 2019... No one complains. But when the Twins hit 307, oh, my God, the Twins are hitting 300 home runs. Change the ball. The Yankees hit 306 that year. But, yeah, you're right. It's right. It's true. Um, so but how does that – Does it? You, you can't just go – you can't change your approach because the ball is going to travel a few feet less. But how, how do you think it impacts a, a lineup that has been built a lot on power the last couple of years? Yeah, you know, it, it can impact it. But maybe the those those drives that are – borderline home runs end up hitting off the wall for doubles now. And that's not a terrible thing either. Um, and, you know, hitters aren't going to change their style. If they, if they get a pitch they like, they're going to turn on the fan and try to hit it as far as they can, you know. Um, and how many, how many balls are going to be affected by that? It may end up being a really a neg- negligible difference. And I also have problems when the league is still trying to react to something that happened two years ago. You know, they can't get 2019 out of their minds. They just went through 2020 in which the, actually the home run rate was, was lower than it was in 20. 2019 but we're still hung up over 2019 because the ball went over over the fence 307 times uh off the twins bat so um i i don't i don't don't get the fixation on the baseball um two years after the fact and hopefully it doesn't become an issue during the year but you know this is baseball any little change in baseball seems to lead to a lot of discussion and a lot of consternation and a lot of arguments. Uh, that's why I think it's such a great sport. Um, cause, uh, because people, uh, are passionate about the sport. And when you start talking about changing the baseball or the bat or messing with the mound or, or, or instituting a pitch clock, you know, it gets people wound up. And I think that's great. What can, what do you know at this point about fans in the stands, about the fan experience down in, down in Florida and, and what we might expect from that? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested to see how the players handle this. I know they're all patting themselves on the back because they got through 2020 uh, relatively unscathed, except for the Marlins and Cardinals. There weren't really a lot of outbreaks across the league. But uh, that was over a 60-game schedule. Well, that was preceded by about a month of workouts. Okay, so uh, they went June, July, August, four or five months. Um, now you're going to start in February and have to maintain this throughout a 162 game schedule. That's going to be a, that's going to be a bigger challenge than they think. And I think, I hope they understand that and, and changing their, their habits in spring training. I mean, spring training is all about showing up at the ballpark at eight or nine o'clock in the morning, getting your workout in and then going fishing or going to play golf or just going out to enjoy the sunshine in Florida. And some of that may be altered, you know, um, they're, they're, they're going to be uh, forced to do things. They're, they're not used to doing in spring training. It's going to make it, a little tougher. Uh, and for the fan experience, it's going to be different. Um, the twins have approval to have about 2,400 fans uh, in the stands for spring training games, which is about 
a third of the capacity at, at uh, Hammond Stadium. And, and, and that's a wonderful thing. And I've got a lot of I got a, a lot of messages from people. And, you know, I was out shopping yesterday and people were approaching me about spring training tickets. And we're going down on March 12th. We're going to hopefully we can get tickets to go to a game. So people are wound up about doing this, you know. So I don't think they'll have a problem getting 2,400 people to show up at a, at a twin spring training game. I, and I think fans want to be outside. They want to see a sporting event because that that's the, I think that'll be the greatest signal that we're getting back to at least some sort of normalcy in the face of this pandemic. And, you know, our governor, you know, in, in his speech, when he uh, decided to close down bars and restaurants in November, he said, and he hoped uh, fans could be sitting next to each other on opening day at target field. And I hope that happens. You know, um, I think uh, by April, you know, as the vac- vaccinations increase and the availability of vaccinations increase, uh, people will be more comfortable coming outside and, and want to go watch a baseball game. And I, I think that's great. I wish I actually think, you know, um, I think people are closer to each other in bars and restaurants right now than they would be in a spread out arena. Yeah. So I don't know why you can't allow some fans, allow five to 6,000 fans at uh, wild games and at Wolves games right now. Now you may have trouble finding 5,000 Wolves fans right now, but (laughs) you can still still, uh, have those people spread out. And I don't think it would be an issue, but that's just me. Um, I'm more on the virus management uh, side of the scale than uh, virus avoidance. Got it. Um, Last thing um, when, you know, any, any major spring training battles that you can see emerging, you know, positional battles, uh, bullpen battles, anything like that, anything we should be watching for just, you know, stuff that's unsettled on that roster. Yeah. Well, the shakeout of the bullpen is going to be interesting because of, uh, you know, if Robles can bounce back and be a factor, you know, um, Kostasia start the season in the bullpen can Thorpe win a spot in the bullpen or is he, um, is he resigned to starting the season in Myers? Um, Devin Smeltzer, you know, in, in that regard as well. Um, what if someone like Eduardo Colina has a lights out spring training? Can he force his way in the bullpen? My my big thing is what's going to happen with Alex Kirilov. Uh, my colleague Phil Miller on on uh, Sunday had a chart about you know things to watch out for, and you know it was in his mailbag on uh, over the weekend, and someone brought up. Uh, service time with Kirilov. And I I would not rule out the possibility of the Twins leaving Kirilov. Oh. Miners at the beginning. Shenanigans? Are they going to do the, the shenanigans? The shenanigans oh, to preserve that extra year of eligibility. And how is that going to shake out? Um, mm. And then Arias can start the season in left field. You know, um, I'm not a fan of it, but teams do it. I mean, they, they, they've done it for many years. It happens with top prospects going Chris Bryant and other prospects have been held back you know at the beginning of the year until those first 15 days go by and then they get called up so the team can have a year extra a year another year of patrol um it's not a popular move with fans and um i think a lot of fans want to see Karoloff because he's been rather hyped here the last few years for his hitting prowess and people want to see that in action but uh i'm curious to see if uh oh man frog spring training and all of a sudden well, we're not quite sure if his swings where it needs to be. A little more seasoning. That's what Give we him call a couple it. weeks of seasoning. Oh, man, <laughs> if they gonna... do that, by then you will have the license to rip them if they do that, which would be fun. Uh, which would yes. be fun. I don't know if you would. You probably would because that would be the cheap Polak crowd would just be out in full force at that point. So you, we'd have yeah. no choice. 
something to watch for for sure Lavelle I'm sure we'll do this many times probably a couple of weeks from now we'll check back in as we start to you know see them play games in a couple of weeks right and start to see yeah. some of these battles shake out absolutely all right Lavelle great stuff congrats again on the promotion to um, columnist and we'll look forward to seeing your work as a beat writer for a little bit longer but then as a columnist as well thanks a lot Mike appreciate it all right take care thanks Lavelle Great chatting with Lavelle as usual. Um, I hope he gets a chance to talk to Matt Shoemaker down in Florida, and I'm certainly glad we had a chance to correct the historical record and make sure that that was accurate. I want to leave you with the cooler, as I always do. Gophers men's basketball team plays Wednesday night at Indiana. Another chance for their first road victory, 0-7 so far this season. Indiana is not a great team by any stretch, but they're kind of in the same category as the Gophers, so a very important game. Bigger than that, though, I want to leave you feeling very smart, as I try to do. So you might be wondering, and I've been wondering, what is the likelihood of making the NCAA tournament without a road victory? So I found this story, CBSSports.com, last year heading into what was supposed to be the tournament, which wasn't the tournament, so this, this still stands. Quoting verbatim from CBSSports.com, no team since 1994 has made it into the field with fewer than three wins away from home. So there's your standard right there. No fewer than three wins since 1994 away from home. Now, of course, that includes neutral site games. That includes, you know, away games, things like that, true, true road games. But if you're looking for what's the history here? Well, the history is that you need to win at least three times away from home. Last year's Gophers, they won four away from home, um, neutral site included. Now, this year, obviously, is a lot different. They have fewer opportunities, right? They didn't really play uh, a, a real or a, a, a robust non-conference schedule. Um, you know, you're going to have fewer opportunities to have those road wins. But still, 0-7 so far on the road with a lot of lopsided losses does give you pause and make you wonder, can they can they expect to stay on this NCAA tournament path if they don't manage to at least win a couple of these road games down the stretch. That will do it for today. Thank you so much for listening to the Daily Delivery Podcast. Download this, write a review, subscribe. Would love to have you on as a regular listener. And always read Star Tribune, StarTribune.com, all the great stories and work that appears there. Sarah McClellan will be with me on Thursday's show to talk more wild hockey. Until then, have a great day, and thanks for listening to Daily Delivery. 